Hello, and welcome to Power Reflections, a proud member of the Doof Network, where we reflect on Wildmo's... Sorry, I fucked that. Let's stop. Hello, and welcome to Power Reflections, a proud member of the Doof Network, where we reflect on Wildbo's most unprincipled work as it releases. I'm Ruben Morehouse. And I'm Elliot Diebold. And we are back to talk about Vanishing Point. Let's get right into it with Vanishing Point 8.1. We're in Lucy's uh, head here, and she and the Kenneteers wake up the day after as Raymond comes to check on them. Headmaster Raymond, yeah. I should call him. <laughs> um, yeah, so we find Lucy, like, kind of asleep curled up on the floor well not curled up on the floor because that implies that you're horizontal but she's like leaning up against the bed Mm. um it's very reminiscent of how she really really struggled to sleep after that first time they went over to john's house Mm. um like this it feels like the worst mental space we've seen her in and at the end of 7.x i mean that makes sense but she's like you know she hasn't slept well so on top of all the stress from the actual events, like, she's just, you know, a little bundle of trauma who hasn't really slept at this point. Yeah, I mean, the theme for this chapter, and spoiler alert, next chapter is, oh, hey, the Kennetiers aren't doing so hot. <laughs> um, <laughs> Lucy keeping the secret of Alexander's death here is especially concerning because it feels very, like, counter to her personality, the fact that she's keeping this thing secret. Like, it, it feels like it runs very against what she would normally do, but she just kind of doesn't really know what else to do. So this thing is just kind of eating her up inside as she hasn't really processed it. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, uh, I don't think it's... I think it's a very loosey thing to do because she justifies it as it's easier and, and, like, sort of better for them if I don't tell them because then they mm. have plausible deniability. So it's like... It's very Lucy to be like, oh, if I can just shoulder this burden all to myself and take it all on me, uh, then, you know, and make it slightly easier for them, then that's the better way to handle it. Like, it's this, you know, it's kind of like exactly what led to the Paul incident. Like, she sort of Mm -hmm. has this stuff, and and when other people aren't bringing it up, she she sort of piles it all in on herself. Yeah. Um, And, and like, yeah, Avery brings up her going to a therapist again in in one of these two chapters and it was just like yes like i i also don't know what you would say to her but like you need to talk about i think lucy does need to get better at like sharing her burdens Mm. yeah yeah no you're definitely right i mean it does feel like she's kind of just getting like chewed up right yeah, and, and and she's she's found that justification to herself about why she shouldn't tell them, and it's not wrong, mm. but it lets her just carry all the weight herself, which is just not what she needs to be doing. Yes, it's definitely not. Um, I, I did like it, though. I, I do want to give credit as well, because I have to admit, my first thought when I was reading this chapter for the first time and saw that she was going to keep it a secret was, oh, God, we're not going to do the whole, she keeps it a secret and then the others get mad because it was a secret or whatever. Mm. And I think, like, I picked up pretty early on that that wasn't where it was going. And I just, I guess, want to give the story credit for that because this was, like, a secret she kept because she puts birds on her own. It was very much a Lucy character thing, not, like, a cheap drama by characters keeping secrets from each other thing. And mm. I was so quick to have faith in the story that that's what it was doing. And then that is what it did. Um, so just, like, I like that. And I wanted to, to shout it out, I suppose. Mm. Yeah, no, it's uh, it breaks that annoying trope of silly interpersonal drama for no real reason. Yeah, exactly. 
And like we, we see, I guess, jumping ahead a bit, but when Lucy does tell them, like Verona's thing is, Verona's reaction is just like, oh God, like you've been holding on to that. <laughs> She's like, you know, it's not played for the drama, it's played for the effects on Lucy. Mm, yeah, exactly. Um, so the other thing that I think is an interesting beat throughout this chapter is there's this just vibe of Lucy just knowing that things aren't right. Like, the world just seems like it's gone back too soon. And like, it's like everyone's just putting on a smile and papering over everything. And it's giving Lucy some, I would say like Stepford wivesy kind of vibes. Right. Um, yeah. The, the vibe of just things being off is one that I, uh, like throughout this and it plays well into Lucy's, uh, hiding this secret <laughs> as well. Yeah, exactly. She's, she's making note of how, everyone's kind of acting a lot more normal than things are and it's like as you said she's hyper aware because she's doing the same fucking thing like she's straight up traumatized um and she's kind of doing the same thing as a lot of people are right now which is she's sort of burying it like she's she's doing that thing john said to do in 7.x where she's like drowning out the image she has of alexander's headless body like with this music um and yeah, like I guess you know, it's just everyone's kind of at, at this stage of the the morning, just kind of, uh, yeah. The tension's all still there, but I guess everyone's trying to act like it's normal because the mm. conflict is finished. Mm. Yeah. I also I like the imagery of I think we talked about when Lucy first got her earring, how mm. it was like Lucy listens and augurs spy on you, and how we were saying like this is better. Like you know, the fact that Lucy has her eavesdropper just doesn't feel as invasive because it's still things you're saying mm. um and now she's literally using music via her earring to drown out the image of an auger dying like I, I just thought that was great imagery of like she's 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 using music and, and and listening her primary sense to drown out imagery of the auger's primary one <laughs> yes yeah um uh yeah i i think that's a bit i mean it's a nice play it's a nice kind of way for the story to play around but I, it's again a worrying sign hmm, hmm. well wait to to your point before about like how she notices like everyone else it, it, wait, she she doesn't just sort of point out how everything doesn't quite fit but mm. she notices so many people are like looking at the three of them because they were so central and yes all this. Um, and this is like, I think that moment where you sort of realize why this is a Lucy chapter, because Lucy is quite accustomed to getting stares and having to read into why people are staring at her. Mm. Um, and this is sort of a extra level of that where now there's like a whole bunch of contextual shit going on that are the reason these three in particular are getting a lot of attention. Uh, and there's a lot to read into there. Um, and you can't ever quite know um so that's yeah fun like i for a certain use of the word yeah <laughs> a certain use of the word indeed again a, a cool thing that the story is doing but not something that is a <laughs> thumbs up for our characters no no exactly yeah um so yeah uh the trio are uh, summoned to raise office to chat and he drops that he knows that they're not legit students, they're not paying tuition, and so he has some questions for them. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I love how good Ray is reading their interactions here, like when he sort of brings up money. 
they all kind of look at each other and he's like, yeah, uh, yeah, okay, exactly. So. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then it, they sort of respond by just being up front. And uh, we'll talk about this more as the conversation goes on, but I love how well this tone starts of everyone just being upfront about their like, lo- like big picture, like motivations and intentions. Mm. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I, I like Ray in this interaction, right? <laughs> like, I know Ray is a complicated figure in a few ways, but he's just so genuine in the sense that he sees there's a problem, he calls him in, and he just goes, hey, I want to ask you about this. Like, what a nice yeah. guy. Yeah. I, yeah, I have to agree. Uh, like, I, I, he got mad props to me for the way he, he handled this from the get-go. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um. He also starts talking about replacements for himself, and it's a good confirmation that he's not intending to be headmaster for long, which, again, another good decision, Ray. Two thumbs up. Yeah, and and he's upfront again about his motivations for that, which uh, mm-hmm. you know, all made sense to me. Um, yep. I like it. I do have to say, though, he, so he proposes two candidates to replace him as the favorites, uh, a Musa and uh, a Crow. Mm. Now, I'm trying really hard <laughs> okay, because I feel like we've got to get past this whole people's bloodlines and lineages and judging people by what family they're in. But I got to admit, you give me that, you give me that choice of a Musa or a crow, and like that feels like the easiest fucking choice in the world, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, I would say so. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I guess we've got to meet them first, like because this isn't Louisa Crow. It's maybe her husband, her brother. Some someone else like we don't we don't know who it is and yeah. the same with the Musa I think it's I think that I think the Musa candidate had a different first name to the Mr. Musa we've been dealing with uh, mm. in the last arc mm. so it's like you know a lesser member of the family but still like just the baggage that comes with the Musa name I'm just like oh this crow would have to be a real fuck up for me to not want them on board yeah which yeah no I mean clearly the crow is the preference here, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, unless we meet them and they're shockingly different to the other members yes. of their family. Yeah. 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 Um, something interesting that happens here is effectively the threat that is held over the Kennedy's heads in this interaction is we might kick you out of school if you don't give us more information. And it's weird because like them attending the school wasn't on the cards at the start of this story. And in fact, it was something that we were kind of nervous about them doing. But now mm. it's become so important to them that they're willing to give up information on Kenneth in exchange for potentially staying at the school longer. And I'm just it's just fun that that's turned into a genuine bargaining chip and something they genuinely clearly care about so much. Yeah, you're right. Because I remember when they were coming here, it was like, oh, are you sure this is worth it? Um, now I was like, oh, God, just tell Ray. Um I think there's something to be said for how different this felt with Ray versus Alexander. Like the reason Alexander was letting them stay for mm. free it wasn't just the loophole thing. It was also that he had a bit of that context and he had the curiosity to find out more. Mm. Whereas like Ray very much comes at this from a just can you I'm trying to make sure that you're not a threat. <laughs> like yes. you just give me enough information. So I know you're not trying to kill us all, or you're not being led to kill us all, please. Yeah. Yep. Um. And it's that it's that difference in motivation that just 
you know, like what when it's Alexander, I'm like, don't tell him anything. Whereas what it was Ray, I was like, oh, I think, gang, I think we do need to tell him. Yeah, just let him in. He seems chill. He seems nice. Yeah. Um, but the the kicking out of school bit because it's basically sort of held that they're probably going to get kicked out anyway because now that Alexander's gone, they've lost their leverage for free tuition. Mm. Um, and this obviously as you'd expect, hits Verona the hardest. Yes, of um, course. For some reason, she doesn't want to go home and, and see her dad. Um, and, and we'll touch on her a lot more next chapter, but like, I love how we start getting those seeds planted here. Just like the, the reminder of how much Verona does not want to get home. Like She jokes about robbing a bank. Um, and then there's a great bit towards the end of this chapter when I think Lucy offers her healing, and um, Verona's like, Verona sort of doesn't respond, and then ages later, she's like, yeah, I pretty much got out of this all unscathed, and Lucy's kind of like, it's a weird time to respond to that. Mm. It's it's blatantly a cry for help. Mm. Yeah. Worrying. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yeah. uh, uh, We'll get to Verona next chapter and how bad shape she's also in. Um, Yeah, true. And then presumably... Uh, 8.3 away from Avery's perspective and we'll see how bad shape Avery's in. Um, but yeah, they're, yeah. they're not doing so hot, these three, are they? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, the, the last moment I specifically want to pull out, because I thought it was really good character work here, is there's a part where Lucy takes note of the fact that Verona looks to Avery for support before her. And, like, Lucy's very mature about it. Like she says, she's not insecure. She's just taking note of the fact that, like, you go to Lucy and you go to Avery when you want very different kinds of support. Like, Lucy is, she'll have your back when you go to war, right? Like, she'll mm. help you stand up for something. Yes. Avery's, like, who you turn to when you need, like, tender love and care. Mm. And Lucy does take note of the fact that Verona looks at Avery first and, <laughs> like, takes note. That's like, Draws okay, a hint so that's, from that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's great. And I, it's so good. I love that the book doesn't actually spell that out, but, like, we know these three, and so when Lucy draws your attention to it, I think, like, everyone who read it could kind of infer, okay, that's telling us that Verona needs emotional support. Like, stat. Mm. Mm, yep. Um, yeah, whoever glances at Avery, make sure they get the emotional care and support they need. <laughs> including Avery. <laughs> yes, including Avery. Avery Anytime needs an she looks Avery in a mirror. anyone. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, so yeah, Ray Ray is kind of questioning them, uh, requires them to answer some questions, and he, he basically starts to learn about Kenneth as they are kind of forced to answer bits and pieces by Ray. Yeah, and again, like a, a lot of this keeps up with the whole like upfrontness, uh, everything. Like they're quite upfront about we didn't really want to kill Bristow, and Ray's like, well, that's good to hear. Like it, it all seems to be going well. And the closest we sort of come to ha- hitting an impasse is where you say he's, he's sort of like, I need to know about Kenneth. And they don't, they're not sure how much to tell him. And I was like, I, w- I yeah. very much enjoyed reading this because I was on that same page. I was like, God, yeah. I want to trust Ray, but I get why but, they can't. Yeah. But then I also get why Ray needs to demand this of them. Um, uh, like, it, yeah, it was a very fun interaction because I didn't know where I landed on wh- who should do what. Yeah, we're really 100% with them in that it's a weird situation. You don't know, you genuinely don't know what they should do or what they will do. And you can kind of see the the pros and cons of each side. But 
they yeah. make the choice and eventually are just like, yeah, okay, I'll stand with it because you just kind of trust these characters, which is a fun vibe. Yeah, and I, yeah, I, I want to talk about the actual decision as well, but like just the lead up to it was sort of like, Ray, can you swear not to act on it? And he's like, I can't. And I was like, fuck, but mm. I get it. Like, I, yeah, like, you know, like he, he sort of says he's trying to protect Zed. Like, he's not going to promise not to do anything about it because he does need to act if it's bad. Yes. Um, but then they, yeah, like, there's so many loopholes if it's just like, oh, I, you know, I promise not to do it unless I think it's necessary. Yeah. Um, I like, though, that, yeah, so as you said, it, it's, it's actually Lucy who's the one who was, who's like, yeah. I think we need to tell him. I think we need yeah. to reach out. He's he says he wants to do what's right. That's basically what I said in the awakening. And I just love this because, you know, Lucy is not typically the the reach out one. And especially with how things kicked off for her with Ray. Um I, I found this particularly heartwarming that she was our reach out and trust person for once. Mm. Um like I guess I like, you know, with that climax of Arc Seven sort of talked about oh you know the the lucy methods versus the avery methods and i can already mm. sort of see maybe arcade is starting to dabble with you know the kenneteers individually starting to grapple with like not one method works all the time like that was what arc 7 sort of proved big picture and now the kenneteers are going to be challenged a bit like you know this this is the chapter that focuses the most on hey, you need to reach out to people. And that is yeah. very much challenging, something Lucy's been grappling with way back since we talked to Booker at the very least. Yeah, you're right. Um, yeah, I love that the it's been weird, hasn't it? The theme of the Blue Heron Institute almost to, to an exi- entire, in, in its entirety in this story has been making friends, you know? <laughs> making <laughs> yeah. friends that you can rely on. A- and even, maybe even larger than that, kind of converting enemies to be allies right like it started yep. with for example nicolette and zed and then we have literally the resolution to the blue heron institute thing is them turning like clem and some of of bristow's uh students onto their side like basically these three have just come here and befriended all their enemies and i that's just such a fun vibe yeah but it's usually Avery, who leads the outreach, yes, yes. But, but here it's Lucy, and I yes. find that so interesting that we might be starting to explore the Kennedys growing their own personal brand of, you know, bringing people together. Um, yeah, for sure. By e- each learning from each other. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, so I guess to get back to Ray, like, uh, there's moments like, as I said, I get that he's so untrusting of this situation where he does need to know more so he can check that they're not enemies but there's just these moments where you're just like god he's such a practitioner like there's this bit where he's like are they you know under the seal of solomon and they're like yeah we think so and he's like oh i can confirm i'll just like bind them temporarily (laughs) i feel like everyone must have had the same reaction of Mm. no that's not no and like lucy's like i don't think that's gonna go over um and and yeah, and then he's like, he's a bit suspicious because he's like, you know, these others that you're with, they're so evasive and they seem worldwide and that's cause for concern. And it's like, but only because they have to be evasive, otherwise they're going to get enslaved. Like, <laughs> it's like I, I get what he's saying, but also like, yeah, yeah, that's so frustrating. Yeah. Uh, while simultaneously being a little bit understandable. Yep. Yep, yep um yeah no for sure 
Yeah, I, I, like I said before, I totally trust Ray here. Like, he just seems so on the level in a way that's great. I I, I do as well, but I, I feel like if I were the Kennedys in real life, I would understand, I would have a lot more hesitation. I feel like it's a lot easier being a reader of the book to be like, guys, Ray's fine. Just go. Mm. Uh, mm. In real life, there'd have to be those doubts because the stakes are so high. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's fair enough. Um, so I guess there's a line that's worth calling out here from Verona where she asks, what if we're not in over our heads? Verona asked, which is just clearly <laughs> a line that, I mean, Wabo, I, I guess, was thinking that this chapter was getting too heavy and needed to introduce a, a joke to lighten the mood. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, to address, like, that question a bit semantically, because, like, obviously, I don't think the Kennedys are fully in over their heads, because I do think they're going to win at the end of the story. Like, I don't think this story is going to end with, you know, whatever the, the other people's plot is coming to fruition, and the Kennedys, like, fail to stop it and die, right? Like, mm. I think I think they're going to win, but I'd still classify where they are as in over their heads, because I don't think they're going to win handedly. I think it's going to almost destroy them to do it um yes i agree like i read this and i was like verona that might be the stupidest thing you've ever said um (laughs) like you're clearly in over your heads and you might make it out but like yeah that doesn't mean you weren't in over your heads yeah (laughs) yeah exactly um and like like the the wider context of ray asking if if they might be in over their heads i I wanted to Mm. bounce this off you because like basically ray is understandably chasing the potential thread that like they were sent here to disrupt bristow and potentially alexander yes and they sort of write it off whether they knew it or not right yeah yeah exactly like he quickly rules out that they were knowingly apart and then he's sort of like well are you unknowingly Mm. and they seem to write it off but i guess i i just wanted to pose the question to you do you think there's any chance that like our villains are that big brain that they knew Bristow was going to try something like this and they wanted to get the Kennedys here to stir things up. Like that seems too Machiavellian even for a fairy, right? Like, mm. Mm. yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, it, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Uh, to be honest, fairies are talked up as being so Machiavellian that it's, I kind of could believe any wild chain of logic they could be behind it, you know? <laughs> I See, my read on them isn't that they're that, like, omnipotent. Like, like you know, like, if it was Marissa Kurogilame, I don't think... They talked in, like, Arc 2 about how they didn't know... Oh, no, it was early Arc 3. They, they didn't know the Kennedys well enough to have them work exactly as they would like. And I, mm. I, I just couldn't believe that with all these practitioners they would have been able to weave that web. So like, I, I think I think the Kennedys are right that no one could have done this, but it's it's an interesting topic to bring up, I think. Mm. I'm sure there's yeah. room for tinfoil where someone did plan it all. Mm. Yeah, probably. I, I agree, though. I think it seems unlikely that this is all so pre-planned. Mm. Um, so the Kennedys eventually decide to just kind of come clean fully and tell Ray who they are and what they are. And uh, he ends up giving them a deadline for their enrollment to expire and just some general advice. Yeah. I, I again, as you said, cautiously optimistic that Ray is coming good. Like, I think out of all of this, he's emerging a better person. Yeah, I agree. I think he's, he's doing well in this situation. He's had 
He's had some stumbles, but he's definitely doing his best to make the situation right, I guess, as best yeah. he knows how. Um, so, yeah, they're being kicked out of school. <laughs> um, <laughs> we've talked about privilege a lot in this story, and, you know, we've talked about the, the different types of privileges that different characters have or don't have, etc. Um, but, you know, they aren't rich, and so therefore they cannot attend this big private school without cheating effectively, without the system having some thing that cheats in their favour. Uh, so, bye-bye, school. Yeah, although we've got a bit of time before we're about to get kicked out. So, we'll yeah, we'll see where that goes. Um, you know, I'm sure Verona, at least, will make uh, some sort of attempt to be allowed to stay. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it does set up a kind of nice deadline for, in a few weeks, you probably have to go back to Canada. Yeah. Because um, we, we do have to get there for the end of the summer. <laughs> when presumably all the shit goes down mm. and i mean if sorry if i could jump ahead a little bit just yeah. want to point out that brett uh in 8.2 it's mentioned that brett's going to be better in six to eight weeks which i think is almost exactly the sort of end of the summer at this point <laughs> everything's so. coming to a head <laughs> he's going to be better because he's going to become the carmine bad dad <laughs> the carmine lump um yeah Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, like I, I, I don't know what that sort of means, but I was like, the fact that he's maybe going to get better around the time all the shit hits the fan just doesn't seem like a coincidence. Um, yeah, it's an interesting point, isn't it? Everything's just coming to a head at once, and maybe it's just Wabo writing, writing, prepping himself for the conclusion. But maybe there's a bit more to it. Yeah. Um. <laughs> So yeah, Ray gives me the advice to try and mend bridges here, and I think, like, I'm glad this came up. I don't know if it's out of the scope of this story or not, but I suspect just for the lives, the general lives of the Kenneteers, they will have to, they'll have, they'll have problems later in life. Let's just say if they don't mend some bridges here, almost certainly there'll be some fallout problems. And I, I'm just glad that that this advice was given to them just for their general lives, you know? Yeah, oh, and I think it's cool that the story is tackling that side of it mm. i think it would have been really easy to to have everything wrap go up back 7. to normal. x yeah yeah or or to just say oh and you know ray invited them in and the tuition wasn't a thing so they're kicked out immediately and you know that's just not in the scope of this story anymore um wait like, you know there's there's a dozen ways to write this where we just skip over what is the real hard part, which is after the conflict sort of going about mending these bridges. Cause I mm. don't know if you can mend all of them. Um, yeah. Like, I mean, I guess we'll see. Cause I like, yeah, you're right. If they don't do something, they're going to have enemies for life. I think even if they do do something, they could very well still end up with some enemies for life. And that's something, you know, if we're talking about all the ways we can make like justice and society and, and community work in this story, uh, you, like part of that is dealing with the fact that sometimes people form these grudges and they're not going to fucking let them go mm. like for good or bad reasons. Some people are going to refuse to operate in or near someone else. And you yep. have to factor that in when you're trying to make like, yeah, a group of people work. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, who knows exactly what problems would come up, but almost certainly some major problems would come up for them. <laughs> yeah. Also, last thing from the Ray conversation, uh, he does say that he wants to go and see Charles. So again, Ray on the on the upward slide. Mm. This is a very good 
an overdue thing that he is doing. Yeah, Charles needs some friends. It's very true. Um, I, I just think it's very symbolic of this turning hopefully. point Ray has undergone. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yes. Um, yeah, I, I, I think it's it's very indicative of this turning point Ray seems to have gone through. You know, where he stopped putting up with Alexander's bullshit. Now he's sort of saying, "Oh, there's nothing in it for me seeing Charles except." a human moment and those are usually what he slides past but now he's t- making that time it's very encouraging for ray mm. yeah yeah it's good thumbs up ray um so yeah they they leave ray uh, and jump forward to healing class and we meet the best character so far metaphos a very cool god <laughs> he's like a bro god <laughs> he's he's got very big bro energy he is He's perfect. I love him. He's great. <laughs> Best character. Um, I, I love how this is set up, though, because, like, it's a Durashay class, and so, like, one of the big things that's established very early on in the chapter is, like, the presence of these gods, like, mm. the way their voices are so loud, it should hurt, but it just kind of doesn't. Um, you know, they're ginormous. Other Others avoid them. Like, it establishes this presence, and you also have Lucy sitting here going, I mean, fuck, I thought this was a healing class that so was going to be chill, but <laughs> Durashay's teaching it, so fucking what was I thinking? Um, it, it's very fun. Yeah. Um, it is fun. Uh, Metaphos. I looked around to try and find if Metaphos was something that existed. I didn't really find anything. Do you have a look? I, I didn't look for Metaphos, because doesn't he say at one point that he's not in the history books? Um, well, true, he does. So maybe that's, yeah, uh, that's fair. Well, what I did was break up his actual name. Like, so I'm assuming he's like a, a bit of a Walbo OG. That's original God. Um, and like, so Meta as a prefix kind of means like, like in, in the Greek sense, it means kind of like beyond or, um, I don't know, it has like a bunch of meanings like after, you know, behind. And then Phaos um, is is also Greek for like light, especially daylight. And he, he he's got a lot of light related imagery around him. So I feel like mm. he's kind. Of, I feel like his name is a sort of Greek hybrid word, sort of meaning you know light from beyond or mm. communal light, which mm. sort of fits his motif. Like I think he's he's a god of like spreading light or something. Yeah, uh, which you know that includes chill vibes apparently. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he is the best. He is the light of my life, so he's definitely spreading light. <laughs> I, what, what's <laughs> funny is, like, he has a sister who's mentioned right at the start, and then yes. barely addressed again, who's and like... doesn't do anything, yeah. I, I feel like she's probably the opposite. Like, if he's all about spreading light and joy, maybe she's the Verona god, she's the broody, yes, like, like darkness god. Spreading um, maybe apathy and dourness. Yeah, exactly. Like maybe that's why Verona has this moment where she doesn't click with Metaphos because really she should be chatting to Metaphos's sister. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Metaphos, in exchange for getting power from him, he only asks for a symbol branded on the arse, thigh, or upper chest, a three-week fever dance, or a moderate animal sacrifice to start. Elliot, would you take that deal? You know, honestly, I think I might. It seems <laughs> chill. I'd probably. <laughs> I feel like I shouldn't trust him. Nah, he's I... chill. He's chill. <laughs> uh, yeah, I could, I could see myself becoming a follower of, of Metaphos. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, there's also a lot of juicy war here. Like Metaf- Metaphos also takes part in teaching the class, um, and 
uh, like one thing I like, he talks about how there used to be more of a role for gods in defining the structure of, of things. Um, but you know, as with most other things, humanity has just kind of taken that over for themselves. <laughs> uh, and I love how that sort of fits into like, you know, the scientification of the world or like, you know, the God is dead sort of stuff. Like, as well as general superstition, like, you know, in a lot of parts of the world, gods have less sway, like religion has less sway now than historically it has in, in you know, at least most Western places. Mm. Yeah, true. Oh. Um, but then, but then also metaphors, he, he, he goes on to talk a bit more about like uh, different types of gods. And what's funny, he's, he never actually talks about the type of God he is, except to mention <laughs> I'm a God, but not from the history books. Yes. Uh, he and Durashe spend most of the time talking about emergent gods, which are basically described as complex spirits, but with more power, mm. which felt designed to make you think about Edith, right? Mm. Like, to the point where I'm almost like, well, this has to be a red herring, because it just <laughs> immediately puts Edith in your mind. What um, do you think is trying to be said by the connection to Edith? Well, the thing they bring up is that you've got to be careful of gods who are like this, because there'll be a piece of humanity missing from them. Mm. Um, so the example is given is like that civilization god in the middle of nowhere who like created the fucking army of babies living for a couple of seconds. The, that horrifying image of the guy trying to escape the birthing of his own great grandkids and stuff. Yes. Um, but, you know, so I guess that makes you think like, you know, if the, if the girl by candlelight is the one who like dons the furs and she loses her connection to Edith. Does mm. that, does that, is that going to affect her? Like, you know, there's been lots of talk about whether the girl by candlelight and Edith are distinct, and maybe losing that vessel will be what kind of makes that distinction matter. Mm. I don't know. Mm. Interesting. Hmm. Okay. Again, it, it, it felt so obvious to try and read into stuff about Edith from this. I was kind of like, is this a, yeah, is this a red herring? Yeah. Yeah, I get it. I think the the fact that it doesn't feel like it's saying enough to be either a red herring definitively or not a red herring, you know? Yeah, yeah, okay. Mm. I guess we'll like see. It's not, <laughs> it's not like uh, Metaphos is saying, like, ah, uh, and I, like all complex spirits, you know, definitely are murderers or whatever, right? Like, it's not a, <laughs> there's no clear thing that the st the story feels like it's, implying either for or against Edith to me. So I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I, I, I guess the implication I sort of took from it is if you take something like Edith and give it the power level equivalent to a god, yes. they are inherently instable. Unstable. Mm. Mm. Um, uh, yeah, which, you know, considering Edith's got to be most people's number one candidate in the obvious category for someone who's going to try and don the furs, mm. um, feels like something to read into. Fair enough. Um... Yeah, okay, fair enough. Uh, so yeah, the, Metaphos uses his magic as the class will say prayers to him to uh, to, to heal everybody around, basically. Um, and it's great. Metaphos, again, best character. <laughs> <laughs> I love how this starts with uh, Miss Durashare being like, will you help us with the class exercise? I'll cover any deficits you find yourself at. Mm -hmm. And he responds like, oh, no need, Miss Durashare. Like, I'm not that minor. And I couldn't mm. help but like read that as Durashe playing him, because mm. it's like if you, I like he talks about at, at various points how being a god is all about like exuding power as much as anything else. 
So it's kind of like if, if she's offering to like pay for dinner, he sort mm. of has to be like, oh, no, 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 I'm, I'm super powerful and rich. I can totally pay for dinner myself um, because that's partially what being a god is. Whereas like if she hadn't offered to pay, he might have tried to extract payment from her as a power move, but her doing it first reverses the power move. I don't know. Am I am I being crazy? Um I think I I think it's good. I think it's good. I think it's fine. I think it's Durache playing a trick. I think you're right. Like intentionally uh taking a bit of a jab at his pride to to you know to to get him to to be chivalrous and wave her off. But I wonder yeah. Like, I don't know. I wonder how much power this actually takes up from him. I I do think it's worth it to him, the deal of representing himself and potentially his sister as, like, possible avenues for worship in exchange for what seems to be a good amount of power. Like, he's basically just doing a kind of a, a you know, a free lunch that you give when you're trying to sell someone a condo. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, and I'm sure that's why he is okay with it. But, like, I also wouldn't be surprised if, you know, he'd have to get his hustle on if she hadn't offered because it's just mm. like mm. establish that shit early on. I don't know. Mm. Mm. You're probably yeah, right. Fair enough. Um, I I love that Lucy gets the the cut on her lip healed too because this has kind of been something that has been bugging her the entire chapter and almost seemingly has been like a physical reminder of her of the fact that stuff's just not right around. Um, and I love that this gets healed because it plays into this vibe of like you know, papering over the wounds that are happening here. <laughs> like, it's weird that things are going back to normal in a single day, and I'm just, like, the, the, this cut being cured just plays into that so nicely. Yeah, well, I think what's interesting is, like, the way that this healing dynamic is set up is that it's, like, someone else asks for help to heal you, so it, it's it's, like, a very communal thing, because not only do you need a friend to do it, but they're asking the god. Like, if you sort of compare, you know, all the people getting together and healing each other versus Lucy approaches Yadira, who's alone, and Yadira, mm. like, yells at her and runs off, and mm. she doesn't get healed, mm. metaphorically or literally. Yes. Like, I feel like that's sort of the connection, is that the people who are holding each other up and, and healing each other, it's happening on multiple levels, and it's the people like Yadira who won't accept that help or reach out themselves, yeah. who are, you know gonna struggle more yes um, quick note the only other person we sort of see who rejects some healing is verona uh mm-hmm. we'll get to how she's healing uh next chapter mm-hmm. indeed we will um yeah we'll get to that in a moment <laughs> um so yeah the group will get some healing and lucy tries to start mending a bridge with yadira and it really goes terribly it's the worst yeah uh yeah i I, I'm so interested to see where we go with Yadira. I feel like she'll continue to be a very central bond that Lucy will try to heal because it was one of the first they had, you know, they were Fox friends. Like, I, I feel like that's a thread we've got to keep pulling. She's one of the, the most prominent other students here. Mm. And she's just alone now. Like, Ra- mm. Raquel bailed, which, whatever, Raquel. Uh, yeah. And I think Cass has moved on. So, yep. yeah, I guess we'll see. Uh, it's rough. Um... But yeah, uh, that's that's where 8.1 wraps up. So in 8.2, we move uh, into Verona's head. Great place to be. Uh, and the group is uh, at their room, and they've gotten delivered a suspicious set of food outside their door. The brownies are making amends? 
Oh, no, I think it's like their sh- wait, a reward, their share of a reward. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a thank you, I think is how it's phrased. Um, yeah, so free food, no downside, no moral questions here. Yeah. Bit worrying. It's pretty creepy, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, when they decide to go and get food elsewhere, I was like, that is 100% the right call. Mm. Um, but again, I, I love how the 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 delivery of the opener here because we open with Snowdrop saying like, "I'm not going to eat it, no way, no how." And when you first read that, at least for me, like after seeing the Verona banner, you're like, "Oh God, what's Verona not eating now?" Like this is something that's been established that Verona, when she's not doing well, she doesn't have an appetite and she doesn't eat. So like, yeah. how are we going to tie this in? And then you find out, oh, it's like a you know gluttonous opossum. Um, so, you know, it's fine. It was just a joke. And then you find out that it's like this brownie bribery food. And you're like, oh, okay, no, I'm back on the not eating this train. <laughs> it's such uh, a fun moment. Yeah. Like, I, I love the way the, the story plays with you multiple times where you're like, oh, what are they not eating? Okay, no, it's fine. It's no drop yeah. and we are eating. That's good. Oh, no, don't eat. That's bad. Yeah. No, it's funny. Um. Something that also works to ratchet up the tension in this chapter is these weird Verona jokes that she's making, (laughs) like which are don't get me wrong, they're they're fucking hilarious, but they're clearly (laughs) so, um, like I I don't want to say cries for help, but maybe that's what they are. They're they're clearly they're they're just so off color that you can't help but look at them and be like, oh, Verona's not okay. After the first one, I was kind of like. Oh, that was funny, but and then like she does a two or three more, and I was just like, okay, yeah, like Verona, you're right. It's like this like desperate attempt to try and lighten or normalize what's happened, which is kind of mm. if you think about it, how Verona copes with this stuff. Like she tries yes. to shut off her emotions with stuff around her dad, and part of the way you can do that is through like making it a joke. You know, oh, if, you know, if it's a joke that Bristow could be in this food, then it's not serious. Um. Like, I, I, I understand the logic, but yeah, you're right. As you're reading this, you're like, well, these are a fucking cry for help. Yep. <sighs> and we'll get to that in a bit. Um, but yeah, the group is clearly creeped out by these meals and stones. instead they decide to go and get some fast food and they head off bumping into Clementine as they get outside and also Shelly. Woo! Um, I was very excited to see these two back. Yeah, I'm so glad we get some actual interactions with Clem. Obviously, we saw her a bit before, but we didn't. Uh, there was other stuff going on. Yeah, exactly. We didn't get a chance to actually like hang out with her, um, and it's great that she's back. That's very fun. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, like Clementine, she's just all these little fucking short stories in a paragraph. Like, <laughs> there's all the yeah. There's there's so many little things. Like, there's a paper airplane that like slits people's throats. Um, I'm tr- like there was there was like a bucket or something. I can't even remember. Like, it's just like. She's just so fun because just the density of wacky bullshit Walbo manages to pull out of just her casual conversations is so fun. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, it definitely is. We'll get to her murder car in a moment. Um, <laughs> and yeah, so Shelley being here is obviously very interesting as well because last chapter ended on this discussion about mending bridges and here comes Shelley right on cue. Um, <laughs> she's so fun in this chapter. I really had a good time having her around. Yeah, I, I'm starting to think maybe that's genetic because remember saying the same thing about Daniel? Yeah, you're right, we did. <laughs> like with, 
with Daniel, it was like he was terrifying until he suddenly chilled the fuck out again. That was like, fuck, I love Daniel. And Shelly, <laughs> I went through the exact same thing. Like I saw her in yeah. this chapter and I was like, Shelly, Shelly fucking rules. Like, yeah, she's great. What a champ. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it, it's just a testament to how fun fairy and fairy related things are when they're not doing murder, kidnap, crime bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, it's good stuff. God, Shelly, you're the best. <laughs> I love how, like, a- a- again, Avery tries to get that apology out of her. Like, mm. there's that moment where uh, she like, does. Shelly's just, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, Shelly's just sort of like, oh, yeah, way good, right? And Veronica's yeah. sort of like, yeah. And then Avery's like, you know, like, an apology would be nice. Would be nice, and yeah. Shelly Shelley gives the one of the weakest apologies I think I've ever seen. And I've seen some weak ass celebrity apologies before. Mm. Um, <laughs> yeah, we all have. <laughs> and uh, Avery sort of responds with, like, uh huh. Uh, but again, I like this because that felt like a very Lucy thing to do. Like, that was, it's not an Avery move to take that stand and be like, um, you owe us an apology. So again, I mm. like seeing Avery grow in that way of she's taking the stand uh mm. for things that matter that said in this case i think what she got is is about as good as it's gonna get so <laughs> she's okay with taking this weak ass apology from shelly because i i think i think shelly means that it's just that's as close as she's gonna get to expressing it <laughs> yeah no i think you're right um there's no way she's full-on gonna apologize but that's not who she is and we love her for it and yeah we've turned around <laughs> on her and that's fine um <laughs> Honestly, it's concerning to me how quickly I was just like, oh, Shelly's great now. I love Shelly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, Clem and Shelly decide to give the gang a lift to their fast food place in Clem's murder truck. Yes, and I'm dubbing this truck Murby um, okay. until until there's a canon name. I like it. Murby, fully loaded. <laughs> um, God, and... Uh, Clem's life, man. Like, imagine getting this semi-sentient truck that you know has murdered people and it just seems to have bonded with Clem and that's just like her life. Like, <laughs> fuck. But this is why she's so much fun. Like, it's, it's like I said, like we get the list of other things and it's these little details. I think the writing around Clem is so good. Like we have that moment where she's like, oh yeah, my truck turned up last night and everyone's yeah. like turned up and she, she just kind of waves it. She's like, yeah, it does that. Um, yeah. And then, and then we find out why truck. later. Yeah. Yeah, and that it's sort of like, you know, there's that moment where Lucy's like, you upgraded the murder truck, and like, Clem pauses for a second, and she's like, I, I, I keep it out of trouble. And like, that might be one of the best comedy moments in this whole fucking story. Like, just the density of bullshit in Clem's life and how it's used in the story is so fucking fantastic. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's great. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, Shelley starts dissing the, dishing the goss about the tenants that have come here, and they have it so rough. Mm-hmm. I, like when we first met the tenants, I guess the ones that Bristow uses actively are ones that have more of a, a, a use and therefore have some upsides to their abilities. But the way that Shelley describes here, all three of them, it's just like their lives are cursed. They have no upsides. They're just fucked, and it's horrible. I mean, there's upsides for someone like Bristow who'd want to use well, yeah, them. There's, yeah, they can be exploited in a way that has upsides. Yeah. That's not... But I for, the, for them, yeah. they're just miserable. 
like yeah like you know like and again it can sort of continues that thread of like the aware being people who sort of have mental illness or just like you know mental imbalance um like you know there's this guy and it's literally like it 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 seems like a pretty blatant metaphor for like the war coming home with you um Mm. like he dreams and goes back to the war literally um there's that workaholic woman who gets extra hours in the day that she can work uh yippee Mm. um seems like a targeted example in a verona chapter Mm. um yeah uh, it's it's horrifying it is it's very rough um uh, there's this so okay i want to call out this bit where shelly says uh they're talking about i think it's the one who who sleeps and and goes back to the war um and she says it, uh, Clem says that she might have a fix, and Shelley says, "You know, don't don't give it to him because the people who want him around aren't people who want him better. Just like they don't want you fixed or Daniel as a productive member of society." And yes, that's very one hundred percent correct. But nobody calls out that with Bristow gone, this might be their opportunity to actually like break the cycle a bit. It's weird that they haven't. Clem kind of mentions that that Bristow's gone, but they never really discuss it how to break the cycle they just kind of assume that it will continue oh well we're saving it for the spin-off um no it's yeah you're right i i expected shelly to be a bit more rebellious in that regard yeah uh, me too um so i was quite surprised by her being the voice of well don't try and rock the boat um because i kind of assumed that's like the opposite of her boats. yeah <laughs> it was sort of her mo um yeah, it's interesting. Like, I because I agree, this feels like the point where you go back there and Clem can start trying to heal people and they can start trying to work together and actually be a community. And um, yeah, so like, hopefully we get sort of updates on how that's going. Maybe when the Kenneteers have to call them towards the end of the story to get help with the Carmine B stuff. Mm. Mm. Yeah, um, we'll have to see, I guess. Uh, so yeah. The group arrives at the fast food place and they start to nourish their souls with some grease. Unfortunately, Verona's soul is not used to being nourished and doesn't respond well. <laughs> I like that. I like that a lot. Um, <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> it, yeah, I mean, I, I love how this plays out because it's so obvious as you're reading that Lucy and Shelley 100% understand what's happening. And ironically, Verona is one of the people who has no idea. She like she yeah. has all these comments where she's like, she felt these pains in her stomach. And that's yeah. weird, because she didn't remember getting hit there. And it's like, fuck, like, Verona, we've done this in the story already. Like, mm. you know, we, we talked about how we opened this 8.1 with, like, Lucy kind of reliving a worse version of uh, the first night they went to John's house. It's like, the last time Verona was getting, like, stomach pains from trauma was, I think, after the Hungry Choir? Mm. so it's just like yeah like you know we're watching verona have like worse versions of symptoms she's had in the past yes and she's sitting and she's sitting there and she's like this is weird i don't remember getting hit there and it's like lucy and shelly are sort of looking at her like are you all right are you all right yeah exactly and she's like she's she thinks she is the whole way through even you know up <laughs> until she throws up and after she thinks she's fine what what's wrong I, with I her think she- I think she has that one moment of realization. Like, there's a bit where they do the anti-orga stuff, and mm. Lucy's like, "Oh, so you're still feeling sick? So maybe it wasn't an attack." And Verona does have a moment where she's like, "Yeah, it's not. It's not an attack." Which I took <laughs> as her being like, "Yeah, this is just me finally owning up to it." Yeah. Yeah. Um, having said that, I was gonna. The line that precedes Verona flipping out is when Shelley says, 
the way you dealt with the biggest threat last night and murked our landlord, which is a very casual way of putting it. And I was going to call out for not having any tact, but then I remembered this is Shelley. So, <laughs> well, so I think what's really interesting about this is I think Shelley is doing this on purpose and like tough love feels like an understatement for what yeah. Shelley's doing here. But like Shelley's the one who comes out with the water ready. Like she, I, I'm pretty sure she kind of orchestrates this. She's prodding Verona for a while before this. Yeah. And I honestly, like, I kind of am giving Shelly props for this because I kind of think this is maybe what v- Verona needed. Like, mm. Shelly pokes and prods this this meltdown out of her. And, I mean, yes, could it have been done better? Maybe. Would it have been done better? I'm a lot less sure that the answer is yes. Like, you know, I, I think Verona was is very good at bottling this stuff up. And so I think Shelly kind of forces this out of her, and I'm actually kind of impressed with it. Mm. Fair enough. Fair enough. Maybe Shelly has a lot of tact and is really nice and great. And that's <laughs> consistent with my read on her this chapter, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not. Yeah, again, like it's, it's you know, that Shelly brand of helping you by mentally poking you until you vomit like you mm. know, it's not it's not therapy it's mm. it's um it's sort of releasing the dam and hopefully that leads to something better mm. um which yeah I, and i just find this ironic as well because shelly's the one who's we again we've compared to verona's dad in in the the past so the idea that it's sort <laughs> of someone who shares a bit of that family trait of being unreasonable and unnegotiable is the person yeah. who can see that that's a bit where Verona is. Verona is going to bottle yeah. this stuff up and change the topic or run away from it. And Shelly's like, nah, fuck that. I can beat that. I can, like, I can prod this shit out of you. And she does. Yeah, fair enough. Like, She's... honestly, target, target Verona's dad with Shelly. <laughs> that's the solution. <laughs> that's the takeaway from this. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, to, to touch on the the verona situation she's been bottling it up for so long and you know literally it it all comes out at once she lets it all out um and then kind of refuses to accept that she will miss a class (laughs) and refuses to give herself a moment to relax and stuff like god verona give yourself a beat take a moment (laughs) yeah it's that aversion she has to being weak and being the one who needs help uh really coming to the fore is sort of what it feels like um Mm. Yeah, I, I think I think she gets to a better place over the walk home. I think that was a good call. But uh yeah, certainly in this moment she she's still deflecting a bit. Um yeah, for sure she is. She, she yeah. I mean the walk is a good idea because it gives her time to kind of get get some air through her system, etc. Um yeah. The one thing she forces herself to do before they go on their walk though is Ask Clem and Shelley for help before they drive off. And they said mm-hmm. they will help, which is great. Again, continuing the BHI theme of, you know, turning enemies into friends. And, and I mean, I don't want to go Bristow on it, but they, they have resources that can be tapped at a useful <laughs> point. Yeah, but I think, I think the point is that that's not the point. Like, they talk about connecting with Clem socially. And it's like, hey, also, though, can you hook us up with them? Yeah. Uh, you know, sing artifacts. Tri- magic trinkets. Yeah. <laughs> um but yeah you're right and again like it's it's verona who reaches out like right after she she sort of months all over the ground she turn, turns around wipes her mouth and it's like hey uh can you help us out like, it, like that's <laughs> kind of the point where it starts to turn around a bit she's she sort of starts to accept help a bit yeah uh indirectly 
admittedly, but she's getting there. Good Baby on her. Baby steps. Good on her. Um, yeah, good stuff for Una. So again, we you touched on the thing that it, usually it's been Avery driving the, you know, the the making friends stuff. But last chapter Lucy did, this chapter Verona did. I think it's great. They're they're all branching out and being so friendly. Mm, mm. Um, so as the gang walks back, they kind of regroup, uh, do a bit of planning and catching up, and Lucy drops the bomb about Alex before they head to class. Yep. Um, worth pointing out as well, before we talk about Alex, uh, Verona does get the update on her dad. Yes. And her response is to genuinely ask if she could just turn into a cat for like a couple of weeks tops. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's it's sort of like, as much as this chapter is dealing with Verona's trauma of having condemned Bristow to, like, a fate worse than death, mm. there's also these little tinges of, but wait till we get back to the whole her dad situation, because <laughs> that's probably even worse. Yeah. Um, yeah, God. I, I, I let myself forget for a moment about Verona's dad being in the story. <laughs> and now he's coming back in and we know it's going to happen and I just don't want it to. Yep. And again, the timeline for his full recovery seems to line up with the end of the Carmine Beast stuff, which like, yeah, I don't think he's going to get the chance Terrifying. to heal correctly. Yeah. That's, yeah. <sighs> um, yep. They also do, again, before talking about Alex, they talk about Bristow a bit as well. Um, which I wanted to get your take on it because I found myself going in circles. Like, how bad should they feel for where Bristow is now? Well, I mean, they touched they touched on this when they were in the conversation with Ray last chapter, right? Like, genuinely, they would have been happy if he just had stopped attacking them, and they gave him multiple <laughs> chances to do that, and he didn't. Like, I'm not gonna. I don't think they should feel that upset that what effectively amounts to self-defense with a number of opportunities for him to back off, even at the very end to back off. And his answer was no, mm. fuck you. Like, I don't know, man. Yeah. Cause I keep coming back to that too. Like at the end of the day, right up at the end there, even if you just look at that, it's an, he chose to go to the brownies rather than lose. Yeah. Yeah. But as much as I bring myself back to that and I still feel like, God, it's awful that well, they've done this <laughs> of, i mean of course it is it, it's i don't give a shit about it happening to bristow i give a shit about it happening to them that they had to do it because that is horrible of course it's horrible but there's no yeah they literally had no other option like what could they have done yeah it's just i guess it's just one of those examples of where like logic is separate from your emotion of it like i think yeah logically mm. we can sort of see it and like yeah lucy makes this point she's like fuck him we tried to de-escalate and he yes. wouldn't do it um but you still like it's like so yes, like logically... of course they would still feel bad because they they effectively murdered I don't know what it rounds out to one and a half people if you count Alexander <laughs> and and their culpability in that maybe one point yeah. seven five I don't know how you how you would rate it but they murdered at least one person yeah yeah well the Alexander's ones even a separate it's just yeah it's so annoying because like like fuck Bristow for this he couldn't even get a fate worse than death without like emotionally affecting us yeah. like and yeah. like the kennedy is like he yeah what a dick yeah i mean yeah man he's not a nice dude um <laughs> so yeah i mean lucy gets the alexander thing off her chest which is nice um and it's just it kind of leads into this nice moment of of a bit of soulful recuperation and reconnection between the group which of course is always good 
Yeah, like without having actually been in Lucy's head since then, like the the sort of impression I get from what Verona notices is like, I think it's a load off her chest to to tell them about it, even if they don't yes. really like. Even if there's no resolution to it, really. Yeah, just the fact that you're sharing it usually just helps, and I'm glad Lucy finally gets that opportunity to allow herself to do this. Um, yeah. And then, as you said, like, I think after this, they're just kind of quiet for a while, and then they start bantering, like, America's, tr- like, fucking Mad Max car drives past, and they have a chuckle <laughs> about it. Um, uh, like, some of the most heartwarming moments in this story are when it's just the three of them being friends. Yeah. It's great moments. Great moments. I'm glad we got a bit of friendliness in this because that is really what feels like it's recouping their soul. Like Verona feels mm. like she kind of calms down a bit from, from what happened before Lucy gets a chance to offload. Um, Avery doesn't necessarily have as much of a cathartic moment, but we'll see when it's her perspective, I guess. Yeah. Like, I mean, Avery's going to be getting hit very hard by the residual tension of all this. I imagine. Yeah. Um, I, I uh, we're recording this a bit late, so I do know eight point three is an Avery chapter. Um, so I can't wait to dive into that and sort of get get an understanding more of the nuance of where she's going to be. Well, um, I've read it, and I'm not going to tell you what happens in it. <laughs> Damn it. Um, but yeah, I mean, like you, you're right. It's not just the moments where they're actively like working on their sort of, you know, trauma from, from all this, but it's the moments in between as well where they just get to be friends and yeah. kind of distract each other from it that are yeah. just as important. Yeah, for sure. Especially for these three. It's always felt like the moments when they have to reconnect are what really help them recuperate. Yeah. And, like, to, to touch on Verona specifically, because the, the huge part of the ending here is uh, Verona sort of takes this moment to kind of do some affirmations where she's like, I don't want to fucking become Bristow and Alexander. I don't want to become like a Charles or somebody who lives out in the country. Like yeah. I want to be a practitioner who is also a good person and I'm going to need you two to push me up like that and I want you to like do the same for me. Yeah. And you know, they're both sort of like, well fuck yeah. Um but that's such a contrast. Do you remember Verona's nightmare in uh, like Arc 5? Or whatever, mm-hmm. where she was going to be like yeah. the, the drug addict who was alone. She only had one friend left. Away. Yeah, yeah. And this is how like, she's grown enough now. Where she, where here she makes this conscious decision to do the fucking opposite. Where she's like, "I need you guys to be around me to support me, and I'm going to do the same for you." And like, you just love to see it. Yeah, go for Anna. Um. So yeah, the group has this chance to catch up and be nice, and it's so great. But holy shit, like the BHI conflict is ostensibly over, as far as we can tell. Um, and they're clearly all just so wrecked from it, like emotionally and physically wrecked. And the, the fact that this is our kind of warm up conflict when we, before we even get to the actual showdown and they're already basically fully spent is like quite worrying to me. Like they have nothing, (laughs) they've got no juice left in the tank for a whole other more, more complicated, more difficult conflict. Right. Uh, yeah, you're right. It's so interesting. To remember that this is, yeah, no, presumably not the main fight of the story. Yes, um, it's it's going to get harder from here. And as exciting as it is to see them growing afterwards, at the same time, you sort of like, well, that's going to be fucking necessary because we we can expect more shit from here. Yeah, yeah, it just makes me worried about the final, the actual conflict that we've got coming up. 
Yeah, well, and, and, like I feel like that sort of echoed that that sentiment in the end of the chapter, where they sort of walk back into the school and and some people are looking at them, some people are hopping into and out of cars, and it's like there's sort of this weird equal parts optimism, equal parts like dread for the future mm, Verona mm. has as she's going to the class, and I just I totally like got that, like I sort of felt the same. It's like things are going good, but also there's a long road to you know being okay yeah yeah it's weird isn't it it's it, it doesn't feel like we've had other moments in the story where a, a kind of a conflict for an arc or two arcs has wrapped up and we've got this moment of like all right we're happy we're together we're at peace and this is the equivalent of that but it's not by any <laughs> sense as cathartic or kind of you know optimistic maybe is the word as as those other ones have been yeah like like if you think to arc five like you know they went back to kennet and they dealt with the aware yes there's a bit of a moment of oh we've turned them to the good side and there's a lot of cleanup to do but we're going to go back to the school and they sort of got out of that a bit of that healing and and doing the follow-through work because they came and just got embroiled in the next conflict back at the blue heron institute yeah, this is the one where yeah, it's like their turn to have to deal with the aftermath as well. Yeah, yeah, it's rough. It's rough. Um, but that's the end of eight point two. Uh, now we have a extra material this week: soul and self, which is Verona's notes that she takes in the self spirits and souls class. Um, yeah, mm. I love this as a concept for an extra material because mm. like eight point two talked about this class at the beginning and obviously at the end Verona sits down to actually attend it. Yes. And, and I feel like the point of 8.2 is kind of that the contents of this class aren't the point. Like Verona, they talk about it early in the chapter and Verona's sort of doing all that stuff like, ugh, souls. Like, who mm. needs them? And, <laughs> uh, and then they talk about like needing to get the perspective from soulless others and, and there's all this sort of banter about it. Um, but really where 8.2 sort of ends up is that it's actually her human connections to people like Lucy, Avery, even Clem and Shelley that heal her and make her make that affirmation to be a good practitioner at the end of the chapter. Um, whereas you can see if the only evidence she's getting for your soul and self is important was this academic class, she'd probably <laughs> just go looking for ways to like bend the soul to be, you know, what she wants it to be. Yeah. Um, so 8.2 to be kind of felt like it was saying, the contents of this class don't actually matter for Verona's journey. Like it's it's the mm. it's the connections that that soul and that self builds that matter. Mm. Interesting. But that said, I'm still a big nerd for the law, yeah. so I was devastated that we weren't going to get it in the in the chapter. Even though I was like, okay, thematically, I think I get what we're doing here. Mm. So then to see that it's like extra material, I was like, this is fucking you great. Get to have your cake now... and eat it too. <laughs> exactly i was like we get to have that lesson where the law doesn't actually matter and we don't have to slow the story down with another lesson but also now we kind of do uh get to get it i was like this is fantastic (laughs) you're such a law nerd (laughs) i love it um yeah there's a lot of stuff in these notes but i found it hard to know which parts was worth pulling out when i was doing my second read through i was kind of like this is interesting this is interesting but i don't know whether it's going to tie into anything i haven't I didn't see anything that was super like relevant to draw points out about, I suppose. Yeah, I mean I, I think that's happened with a few of these very law heavy yes. extra materials. Is sometimes they they're they're very supplementary. You know, it's not 
it's hard to talk about them in the podcast because we'd just be reading out the law, um, which is like, you know, the the pale audiobook will get there and do that for you if mm-hmm. that's what you're interested in. Um, I, I think the one part I sort of wanted to pull out is there's a whole section kind of dedicated to how you can strengthen yourself. And mm. it's like, oh, there's various ways to do it. And they all have their pros and cons. And it made me think of like Lucy and her arena fighting with Guillermet or Avery and like her glamour check marks. Like they're both, particularly the Avery one, it's like, you know, she's literally using glamour to kind of boost and change herself. And I guess, I don't know, this is a throw that's been sitting over us for arcs and arcs and arcs now. But mm. I still can't like, I want to believe she's just using it as like a kind of medication mm. that will help her. But then you also that read she can stuff eventually about, wean off of, yeah, 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 exactly. Or or maybe she's always taking a bit of it, and that's fine too. But then mm. you read stuff about how, oh, you know, touching up yourself with glamour constantly probably not a great idea. And I kind of would be like, oh, this is concerning. <laughs> yeah, 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 uh, yeah. Fair. It's a good one. I don't know. I. I guess I had thought that we had hit that beat already when we had the Shelley fight, but maybe we will see more. I mean, especially if Marissa is one of our villains, see more of mm. that kind of stuff. I, I feel like, yeah, I agree. There's been moments where that thread has sort of come into play, like with the Shelley fight, it it came up, but like I don't, I don't feel like it's concluded yet. Sure. I don't know. Yeah, I guess it's hard to know sometimes if a if if it's just a beat in the middle of a thing or if it's a beat that is the resolution of 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 well because because even if avery stopped doing it i don't feel like she's dealt with the ramifications of stopping yet like i feel like there'll need to be a chapter where she's sort of like okay now i don't have this you know boost that i was getting like what is this doing to me Mm. yeah Mm. i mean there's also the draw the drawings i feel like we should highlight in this extra material um i feel each one kind of characterizes how verona sees the kenneteer at maps too like you know lucy's is sort of in this proud powerful stance verona's is in this very comfortable casual one mm. and then the picture of verona is like hunched over and in pain <laughs> it's just like i i mean i know verona likes a like i don't know like goth aesthetic or darkness aesthetic but that also just felt like you know a bad vibes illustration for how Verona mm. sees herself right now. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> mm. I like the drawings. I think they were nice. Oh, I mean, they're, they're very good. It's they're just like, like looking at how Verona's is compared to the other two. It's like, it's smaller, it's curled up, it's in pain. I, yeah. I find that like a cause for concern. Now, the real cause for concern, Elliot, is do you think that these drawings indicate Verona's a furry? Oh. <laughs> I've seen this discussion everywhere and I don't <laughs> I'm I have no comment on this. I just know that this is a question <laughs> that pisses you off. <laughs> I I don't know or care is my response to mm. to that, I suppose. Mm. Um But what if it is relevant about for the murder of the Carmine Beast? Could you give me an example of how that might be the case? Just so I could properly uh respond to your query. <gasps> the Carmine Beast is a giant. I mean, I guess it's about putting it. Yeah, you're putting on furs, right? There's something. Yeah, there. yeah, yeah, yeah. What if the, vil- the villain? Why am of I encouraging this? Whole this? Story, what if the villain of this whole story didn't really have it out for the Karma Beast for any reason other than they wanted to make a really good fur suit? <laughs> Cruella Deville is the villain title. <laughs> yeah, but you know, for for sex. 
<laughs> anyway. Um, yeah, movie. Okay, uh, another... Hey, man, you asked. You asked. <laughs> no, I didn't. You did. You said, give me oh, a okay, reason no, why how it plays in. Okay. Fair, fair. Mm-hmm. Um, Send your tweets to about, Elliot, not to me. It's talking about the topic at large. Um, oh, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I guess another thing as well, just talking about like the soul and stuff, I think there's moments where it sort of talks about how, oh, you know, when you start, you ju- you're just the soul in a body and like some of these, like, I think they're called like departments, but they're kind of like, they kind of map to sh- like chakra sort of things. Like, oh, and this one's open. So you absorb the world and you leave your connection to your parents behind. And I mean, this part just made me like notice like what I love about this world so much mm. is that it's just kind of like, that's how brains develop right like biologically in our world your brain kind of starts and you you know you get your basic instinctual stuff from your parents mm-hmm. and then as a baby like the first few years of your brain development is just like your brain just taking fucking everything in yeah. and and kind of going from there yeah and it's like kind of at its core what the other verse is is just taking the way brains work and making it like real like you know human brains pattern finding machines what's the world of Packed and pale, mm, while patterns, those patterns yeah. Yeah. become things, and like, you know, there's a lot more to it. Like you know, Walbo's taken that sort of core concept and built so much more on top of it. And mm. that, wait, the value of that shouldn't be understated. But I think like one of one of the strengths of this world just comes from that underpinning. Like, mm. if you just take the way human brains work and use that to make it like magic in the world, you can exaggerate human problems in such an interesting way because it is just like the way people want the world to work, kind of. Um, mm. Like, if if fantasy and sci-fi are all about sort of taking human problems and magnifying them and, and extracting them, it's like, what well, better way to do that than have a world that's kind of founded on the principle of let's exaggerate these problems um, and make them real. Mm. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. It's, it's a great base system that's been expanded on with a lot of very cool uh, additions to it, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I love the final line of this extra material where Verona just writes, probably want all of these things. Ugh. Classic Verona. <laughs> come on, Verona. Get, come off it. I, I love it because, like, Verona has had really delightful banter throughout this entire extra material. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, but, you know, she makes she makes great, like, sex jokes and stuff as, as, as she's going, and, and they're hilarious. But there, there's a couple of these lines uh where you just get reminded that this is Verona and and the concept of herself and her soul is is very much on her mind. And I think ending on it is really cool because like as much as it's fun to dive into the law that we get to do in here, like this last line just kind of brings us back to where we were at the end of 8.2, which is just like, yeah, and just a reminder, like Verona is begrudgingly starting to admit that, yeah, okay, this stuff is important. <laughs> Thank God for that. Thank God she's come around. But yeah, so I, th- I think like from a writing perspective, it's a really clever last line because it it pulls you out of fun war mode, um, which is what the sexual material is, and does put you back into uh, mentally where you were meant to be at the end of eight point two. Mm. 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 Yeah. Um. Great stuff. Great stuff. That's the end of the chapters to discuss. But of course, before we go, let's hit uh, some predictions from the community in our pale predictor sheet. Um. Yeah which is where community members can leave predictions on what they think is going to happen and win power if they get it correct. <laughs> yeah, there's very substantial power involved in this ritual of submitting your predictions. 
Mm. Um, um, what have you brought, Ruben? I brought a very simple one from Jaso, who was uh, commenting about the BHI conflict and <laughs> wrote, and I just want to emphasize before I read this out, you guys can't see this, but it's all lowercase, no capital letters, and that's important. <laughs> Some new guy will become the headmaster and the Kennet tree will fulfill their three beat by killing him. No punctuation. That's it. <laughs> and I just love that prediction. <laughs> uh, it's brilliant. Uh, yes, the kind of low effort grammar vibe really helps sell the simplicity <laughs> of it. Um, Indeed it did. Um, so I, I pulled out one. We actually had a couple of people submit this this same one, and I've seen it talked about in various discords. Um, but the first person to submit it to Pale Predictor, so the person who will get all the points if it's true, mm-hmm. um, was Zzz, uh, or spelt Z-T-Y-T-H-Y-Z. Elliot, obviously that's um, pronounced Zatithz. Sorry, yeah. I, I don't know what I was thinking. Doi. Um, and that's all caps, by the way. Yeah. Um, that's where so... all the caps went from, from Jason's <laughs> prediction. <laughs> um, anyway, so this, this prediction uh, is that Miss was Louisa Crow, um, the, the you know nice practitioner we met in 7.x. Um, I, I don't know if I buy this one, but I've seen it around enough, and I think there's some interesting bits to pull from it. Like It, it actually came up in these two chapters that we still don't really know how Miss knew about Alexander's domain. Mm. um so that that's a big part of it like a lot of people are saying well louisa might have known and you know she would use that if she became miss um Mm. but it feels like i don't know that like i feel like that would undercut miss a bit as a character and yeah like it would mean that she wasn't lost for that long i don't know i feel like what's more interesting to me is the idea that maybe louisa is the person miss replaced when she hopped out of the stairwell interesting like, you know, she, she sort of has a part of her. I really do like um, that. So, you know, same as, like, you know, uh, Snowdrop has a, you know, a bit of an Avery download. Like, maybe Miss did get a bit of a Louisa Crow download. Mm. Mm. Um, I don't know why Louisa would be on a path. I'll admit that's the flaw in this. Mm. But um, that flaw still kind of applies to the original theory of Miss just being Louisa Crow, I reckon. So Yes, I think so, um, too. So, yeah, I don't know. I guess we'll see. Hmm. Good stuff. Um, Yeah, great predictions, folks. Now, before we wrap up, we have a discussion question that we'd love you to leave your answers to in our comments. Uh, Yes. So inspired by the the sort of list of departments slash uh, chakras in in the 8.2 Extra Material, um, where Verona, you know, thought about which ones she likes, we've sort of asked the question, which of the departments listed in the Soul and Self Extra Material would you value the most? Which Mm. the least? Um, I started trying to answer this myself to get ready to talk about it next week as well. And, uh, it's actually quite a personal question. So Uh, if you want to do it for some other character or fictional person or whatever, like go nuts on that as well. But I think it's a really, you know, similar to things like the implement or familiar or domain exercises, like a bit of a self-introspection thing. Like if you categorize humans as having these seven main components, which do you value, which could you work on? Mm. Um, It's quite fun. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I love the uh, thought. Um, so yeah, you can leave your answer to that in our discussion thread, which we linked in the show notes down below. Uh, yes, you can also check out our Twitter at MediaMD Podcast. Uh, I'll be doing some live reads there. Uh, so you know those will be starting up again soon. I know this episode's a bit late, 
And hey, if you're confused as to why these episodes are late or early or whatever, check out that Twitter. We're hopefully posting the updates there. Yes, hopefully. <laughs> um, if you want to support the Doof Media Network, of which this podcast is a part, you can head to doofmedia.com and check out all the other great shows that are on the network there. Um, another great thing to do would be just share this show with somebody. If you're enjoying it, share it with a friend. I mean, if they don't read Pale, it might be weird, but hey, maybe this will get them into it. That could work. Yeah. Who, who says it can't? You should be... Like you know, fucking shilling pale to all your friends anyway. Uh, and yeah, so. actually, I bet we have a bunch of listeners who don't read pale but listen to us, right? If you're that one of those listeners, right. send no. us a tweet. Maybe for something like Game Club. Nah, nah, nah. But not this. For this, yeah. For <laughs> this, nah, yeah. Okay, you know what? If that person does exist, yeah, at me because yeah. I, I'd at love us. to. I'm I'd so curious. <laughs> I need to know what's going on in your brain. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Uh. So yeah, I, I'm. Obviously, yeah, patreon.com forward slash doofmedia. That's where you can go to support the network. Uh, one of the perks of donating at the $10 or above tier level is you get access to all our bonus shows. Um, about like a day or so after this episode comes out, uh, Ruben and I have an episode of our bonus show, The High Ground, coming mm. Um, So we'll be talking about episode three of Star Wars with my sister, Georgia, um, rounding out the prequel trilogy we've been talking about for a while now and um, actually getting to just praise a movie for unironically being good for once i think yeah no legit uh, the first star wars movie i've unironically really enjoyed except uh yeah i liked rogue one as well anyway yeah if you want more star wars so, talk go to our other show that's not what this show's yeah. for um yeah so you know if you've been waiting for that trilogy to finally complete before you upped your donation now's the time now's the time all right and with that I think, oh, wait, oh, no. no. Yeah, while we you're on Patreon, yeah, 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 while you're on Patreon, <laughs> make sure you go to Wildbo's Patreon because this show wouldn't exist without him. So get over there. I mean, the murder truck wouldn't exist without him. That's even more important. If you donate enough money to Wildbo, maybe you, the murder truck will show up for you. And if you donate <laughs> extra money, it will show up for you for a good reason and not to murder you. Or if you donate money to Wildbo, you won't get one of those weird envelopes where the people chase you for years and beat you up and stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like that one guy. I don't think we talked about that guy. That guy was weird. I couldn't figure out what that mapped to in real life. I don't know. Anyway, if you guys find an envelope with $10,000, um, I lost it. So just tweet <laughs> me and, yeah, we'll figure it out. All right. Anyway. See ya. Bye. Bye. <laughs>